Welcome to the porch. My name is Josiah, and uh, man, it is a privilege to serve here. Thanks, Mom. Uh, man, we are excited that uh, you're here. Uh, man, if you're watching online with us tonight, if you're uh, in one of our Porch Live locations, Porch Live Indianapolis, my friends there, Porch Live Boise, Idaho, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Houston, Texas, Austin, Texas, and a slew of many more, man, welcome. And of course, my friends here in the room, welcome, man. We're glad you're here. We are in a series titled there, he said it, shocking statements from Jesus. We started last week with David Marvin, and we are looking at these shocking statements from Jesus. Last week, we talked about this statement that Jesus said, love your enemies, which is contrary, man. It's contrary, and it's revolutionary to the world. And so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to hop on uh, Spotify, iTunes, check it out. It's an incredible message. But tonight... We pull up to a statement that Jesus said, and it's this, you must be born again. You must be born again. And man, when I first heard that, I was like, what? That doesn't make sense. That's kind of some cultish statement. Like, what? That's weird. What do you want me to do? Go back in my, mo- my mama's womb, right? And, and maybe that's where you're at tonight. You hear that statement and you're like, man, that's confusing, And so I would just say you're not alone. We're going to pull up to a passage of scripture in John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can open those up, middle of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 1. And we're going to watch, we're going to read about an interaction that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus who thought the very same thing. And so I believe that God in his sovereignty has something really powerful to convey to us tonight, like He conveyed it over 2,000 years ago to a man named Nicodemus, but tonight, 2,000 years later, on July 27th, 2021, right here at the porch, God has preserved this book that we call the Bible so that we would open it up and we would read it and hopefully walk out of here with a better glimpse of Jesus so that we can respond rightly and appropriately as we open up. The Word of God. We're going to be in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Let me set this up this way. Jesus is, um, man, showed up on the scene. He's doing incredible miracles. Like he just turned water into wine at a wedding, which is amazing. Would love to be at that wedding. Uh, (laughs) Come on, don't lie. some of you are like me, can you say that? You're in church. Yes, I can say that. Uh, but, but listen, he did, he did some, these incredible things. Like he let the lame walk. He let the blind were seen. I mean, he was doing some incredible miracles that no one had ever seen before. He was teaching like no other. Giving people a different paradigm of belief. A different way of living. Love your enemies. What, Jesus? You must be born again. And he's saying these radical statements. And, and, and you got three categories of people. You got the all-inners, like those are his boys, man. Those are people that want to follow him and, and, and go wherever Jesus tells them that they're going to go. 
And then you've got kind of the wait and seers. You know, th- these categories are, are, are kind of categories of people that um, we, we would maybe categorize in our life. The wait and seers, it's like, hey, hey, if Jesus succeeds, man, I'm all in. But I'm going to kind of hang out here on the fringes, and I'm just going to kind of watch. And, man, if he, if he does what I want him to do, man, then I'll be all in. Or if, he gets, if he's successful, then I'm going to follow him. We call those people bandwagon friends, right? Like, hey, oh, you, you made it. You got influence, right? And so that was the, the wait and seers. And then you have another category of people. Those are the, uh, the naysayers. These were people that were trying to kill Jesus. Those are the people that, you know, always have something bad to say about you. Those are the people that are the haters. And, and, and so you have these three categories of people, and Nicodemus would probably be in the, uh, the wait and seers. Like he had some questions, and, and, and really some honest questions, and he was examining the evidence of Christ. Maybe, maybe you're here tonight and you're like, man, I, what's this Jesus thing about? I'm here to kind of examine and see if, if Jesus is really who he says he is or, man, can he really do much in my life? That, that was Nicodemus. We'll pick it up in verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Verse two, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which just means teacher, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Verse three, Jesus answered him, he said this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And can you imagine what that would have felt like in that moment? What are you talking about, Jesus? Like born again, and look at, look at Nicodemus' response. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Like he's clueless at this response that Jesus has given him. And, and I think it's an honest and really appropriate response. He's like, what, what do you want me to go back into my mother's womb? By newsflash, Jesus, like she died years ago, scholars would say. And so Jesus drives this point home in the next three verses, verse five. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So water means born physically and spirit means born spiritually. Verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Verse seven, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You must be born again. This is the shocking statement from Jesus tonight that we're gonna unpack. And and you know, when I was prepping for this message, I couldn't help but think about the newest member of my family. I think he's gonna be up on the screen here. This is Josiah Caleb Jones. Like he's straight mean mugging the camera, y'all. Too soon, too soon, go back to that first picture. (laughs) Look look, at little mean mugging. And so he came into the world literally six, six days, or six months ago, not six days, that would be a big dude. <laughs> no, six months ago to, uh, to tomorrow's date, he came into the world. And, and I don't know if, you probably have not experienced this, the, the pregnancy and then the delivery, 90% of the room probably haven't experienced this. Maybe, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But it's crazy, y'all. Like, like it, is, it is stressful, it's a thrill, it's a rush. Because you have like this shot clock of like nine months hanging over your head and, and you just wonder, like is the baby gonna be early? Is the baby gonna be on time? Or is the baby gonna be late? 
And, uh, and for us, man, we, the, our baby was late, like, like Caleb was late. And so uh, when, when, when the due date got, here, got there, we were like, oh, no baby. What, is something wrong? And you start kind of freaking out. You start asking all the questions that you should ask. It's like, no, nothing's wrong. But then the doctors are like, they give you like a three to five day window. And they're like, hey, if your baby doesn't come in these three or five, win- three or five days, like we're gonna have to induce, not you, but your wife. Um, we're gonna have to induce your wife. And induce just means like, hey, we're gonna speed up the delivery process because, hey, ain't no woman trying to have a 10 pound baby. Amen, right ladies? I mean, my, my wife sure is, hey, ain't trying to have a 10 pound baby. And so, and so you know, I'm, I'm kind of the guy, this is a real conversation. I was the guy that's like, hey, hey babe, like, well, let's just trust God. Like, you know, he's, he's rarely early, you know, never late and always on time, amen? And so that's a real conversation. Like, that's a real conversation I was having with my wife, Kathy. And, uh, and, and she's like, ah, I don't know. Doctors seem like they know better. And I'm like, okay, well, I kind of think we should trust God. And let me just say, let me, this is free. Hey, hey fellas, when, when, when your wife is having a baby, what she says goes. And so we get induced. All right, so I grab, the, I grab the bag, we get in the car, make sure the car seat is in the car, all buckled up, like, man, we're ready. We step foot into the, the hospital, check in, we get our room. And then I go in coach mode. Man, before I came into ministry, I was a coach, coach baseball, love it, we can talk about that later. But I go in coach mode, and I got my checklist out. I'm like, babe, you got the, you got the perfect bed, you got the pillows, right? You need some ice, like not, not, the, not the big cubes, but the kind of the sonic crushed ice, right? And uh, yeah, some of you are like, uh-huh, mm. Uh, and then I get, get her some water. And then I got the tunes, man. Just a little bit of tunes, a little Marvin Gaye. No, not Marvin Gaye. That'd be weird. Uh, but <laughs> no, maybe some Shane and Shane, right? Playing in the background. Just, just, just low, just low. And then the doc walks in. The doctor walks in, right? And I'm like, hey, doc. Hey, listen, listen. Hey, I want to catch my son. She said, not a chance. I said, come on, doc. I got hands. I played baseball most of my life. I, I've been known to catch a thing or two. And she said, all right, get this man some latex gloves. True story. And so about that time, I'm putting these latex gloves on. We go to push. And I'm not even playing. Like, uh, like five pushes and the baby is out. Like Caleb is out. He's in my arms and he's crying, y'all. I cut the umbilical cord. See, we, I think we got to move. I think we're going to show it right here. No, I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. My wife would kill me. My wife would kill me. Hey, some of y'all were like, is he really going to do? No, no, no. Y'all crazy, man. Gosh. So I cut the umbilical cord, give her, give him to my wife. And and then I'm like, man, that was a thrill of a lifetime, y'all. Like it was stressful, but it was a rush. And it was a moment I'll never forget. But you know what another another moment I'll never forget? I, I I took Caleb back into my arms. And I laid him right on my chest. I think we got a picture of that too. Come on. Come on. And, 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 and here's, what I, here's what I learned. Here, here's, what I, here's what I felt like what God was teaching me. Hey, this baby came into the world. And, 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 and Caleb, man, he, he, he had nothing to do with deciding to be born. Like no decision making. He was entirely dependent on his parents to be born. And when I was holding him for the first time, I recognized how needy, this, this little guy was. And nothing, like he couldn't do anything. Like he was totally dependent on his mommy and his daddy. And so I start there tonight. I share that 
story with you tonight. Because in the same way, we're totally dependent on our parents to come into the world. We are totally dependent on God to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Like, did you catch that? Like, we are totally dependent on God to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Like, he's the one that allows us to go into heaven. And Jesus is having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus tells him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So tonight, I want to answer the million-dollar question. What does it mean for someone to be born again? Because here's what's at stake. Like, if we don't understand this, like, if we don't understand this incredibly shocking statement from Jesus, you must be born again. He's going to say later on in the chapter that you're going to spend eternity, I'm going to spend eternity separated from him forever and ever in a place called hell. And, and, and so we have this man named Nicodemus who goes and he, the, the scripture says he goes by, by, by Jesus at night. And, and, and that's, that's shocking in and of itself. Like may, maybe he was like scared to be associated with Jesus. Maybe, maybe he kind of had one foot in the world and one foot in this like Jesus thing, right? And, and, and he's going to Jesus by night. Maybe he was trying to uphold a reputation or maybe he was trying to win the approval of this group of people and he couldn't be seen with Jesus. But he had enough faith to step out and have a conversation with Jesus and to pursue Jesus. Like, like some of you come into this room and you have enough faith to show up here on a Tuesday night. Like you have enough faith to, to darken the doors of Watermark Church and come to the porch and, and man, I would just say, praise God. Like maybe you heard we got good vibes, right? We, get, we, we got good music and we talk about real stuff in our messages and you're like, and you heard we got girls here? Like some of you are like, oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I digressed. But, 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 but some of you tonight, you know emphatically, deep down inside, you're not all in with Jesus. Like you're going through the motions of your faith. And, and, and this is where Nicodemus finds himself. Like he is, he's, he's, he's mar he marvels at Jesus. He's like, man, this, this Jesus, like he's not a religious leader. Like he didn't go to seminary. Like he didn't get that sophisticated degree, the, the lawyer degree. Like he, he's not any of that. Like he's a, he's a carpenter from Galilee, y'all but he's doing some amazing things that no man has ever seen, no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard. And he can't deny the power of God in this man named Jesus. And so I wanna answer this question. What must we do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Like Jesus said, we must be born again. And so to answer this question, I wanna walk us through a picture that will illustrate the answer to the question. I've drawn this illustration on um, a piece of paper, I've drawn it on a napkin before, I've drawn it on a, a, a dry erase board. I mean, I, I've, I've, uh, I've put it on my hand before as I've been talking to young adults in the city at coffee shops or restaurants, waiters or waitresses or whatever the case may be and I find myself in a conversation and things turn spiritual. And so tonight I wanna answer this question, how can someone be born again through an illustration that will be on the back of this middle screen? 
And so here we go. Let's start with man. More specifically, when I say man, I mean like humanity. I'm like, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself. And so what do we know about man? What do we know about humanity? Like what, what we know about man is that man is created. Like Genesis 1.27 so says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so what we know about man is man is created by God. We also know that man is sinful. This is another characteristic of man. Like I've, I've been in hundreds of conversations and no one has ever said, yeah, I'm perfect. Like some, something deep down inside of us knows that something's broken. Something's just off. And Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned or for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like this glory of God is like his standard and, and, and our, his standard is perfection. So, so man is created, man is sinful, and, but, but, but here's what also man is, loved. Love, John 3.16, you, you might be football game here in the fall, and you might see in, in the end zone John 3.16 hold up on a sign, or Tim Tebow, the, the, the comeback player of the year, I'm calling it, y'all, gonna have that t- John 3.16 on the eye black, right? For God so loved the world, that he gave his one only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What do we know about humanity? We know that man is created, he's sinful, but he's loved by God. And then God, what do we know about God? Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We, we realize and we know from that one verse, the very first verse of the Bible, that God is a creator. We also know that God isn't just a creator, but he's holy, y'all. First Peter 1.16 says, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. This word holy means to be set apart. It means to be perfect. It means to be without sin in thought, word, or action. Categories I fall short in every day. We also know that God is not just a creator or holy, but he's, God is love. 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so look at what you have here on, on the screen. You got, you got man on one side. He's created, he's sinful, but he's loved. And then on the other side, you got God. He's the creator, he's holy, but he's love. And so the characteristic that distinguishes the two, man and God, is man's a sinner and God's not. And so you have a chasm, you have a separation because God is holy, he's perfect, and man's not. And and, and what man tries to do, humanity tries to do, is, is man tries to build these bridges to get to God. This is my story. The, the bridge of good works. Now, I'm, I'm going to do some good works to try to build that bridge to, to God. I'm, I'm going to help the homeless. I'm going to be kind to everyone. I'm going to think as long as I'm a good moral person, then that's going to bridge the chasm of separation to God. So we try to be good enough in our own goodness to get to God, but then we realize that, hey, God's standard is perfection, and so we can't get there, so that bridge falls short. And so we're like, man, good works, no. Nah. I know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be religious. I'm gonna be really religious. Like I'm gonna come to the porch every Tuesday. I might even go on Sundays. 
Like I'm, I'm gonna get, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get a Bible, I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna wear that cross necklace. I'm gonna get the tattoo of the cross. Like I might even get baptized. Yeah, bap, bap, baptism. That, that's, that's what's gonna bridge the chasm of separation to God. Or I'm gonna pray in this direction for this amount of times a day, or I'm gonna read this book, I'm gonna walk this path. And, and we think in our religious activity, that's gonna bridge the chasm of separation between God and man. And, and what we find out is that bridge falls short too. And so we have this chasm of separation that we just can't seem to bridge. Any, uh, any Olympic fans in the room tonight? Olympics, come on. Man, Olympics are going on, you can turn on the TV anytime, any day, and you can, you can watch an event. Like I love me some Olympics. And uh, man, I love, I love swimming, man. That's just a, that's an incredible sport. Michael Phelps, the GOAT. Man, I miss, oh yeah, we got some Michael Phelps fans in the room. Like he, like he is the GOAT, man. I miss watching him swim. And so let's just say uh, you and I, we're gonna have a swimming competition, okay? We're, so we're gonna line up, you're there, I'm there, and like Michael Phelps is there. And you're like, man, there's, there's no way, like no way, Josiah. Like he's gonna win every time. But, but, but here's the deal, here's the deal. We're gonna, we're gonna compete and we're gonna start in New York and you're gonna go to London, okay? Stay with me, stay with me. And you're like, man, that, that's impossible. That's like thousands of miles, like even Michael Phelps and all of his athletic prowess, like, like wouldn't be able to swim that distance. Like he is going to, he might make it a lot further than you and I will, but he's not gonna make it. It's too great of a distance. I think everyone would be like, yeah, that makes sense. But, but listen, listen, don't, 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 don't miss this. Our good works, our religious activity is too great a distance for us to bridge the chasm of separation between us and God. Like, like, did you catch that? Like, those bridges will fall short. Like, the distance between us and God is too great, y'all. Like, some of you right now, like, you're fighting that. Like, you're fighting, like, no, Josiah, like, I'm, I'm a good person. 22 years of my life, I thought the same thing. Y you know why? Because I compared my life to everyone else. E even people in the church. And when you compare your life to everyone else, even people in the church, you can always find someone worse than you, which gives you security in the fact that you're not that bad. And when I stop comparing my life to people in the church, even, and started comparing my life to Jesus, my mouth was stopped of all justifications. And so if you try on your own merits, your own good works, your own religion. Scripture says that those will fall short in a place called hell. And listen, I, I get it, like hell is not popular, but look at what 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says. It says, they will be punished with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. And I get it, like it's not popular to talk about hell. But, but Jesus talked about hell twice as much as he talked about heaven. Because let me ask you, if God allowed sin into heaven, 
what would heaven look like? It would look a lot like this world. And when sin entered into heaven, or excuse me, when sin entered into this world, heaven's a perfect place. Come on, someone say amen on that. (laughs) When sin entered into creation, it sent creation into chaos, Genesis 3. And so we see tsunamis, we see earthquakes, we see natural disasters, we see coronaviruses, we see death, we see cancer, we see rape, we see murder, we see all kinds of destruction. And it's because sin entered the world and it sent this entire creation into chaos. And so God must assess a penalty for sin. He can't allow it into heaven. And so like, sometimes when I think about hell, I'm like, oh, that's just for like the Adolf Hitlers of the world. Like that's for the really, really bad people. Because every time I think that way, I think, or every time I think that way, I start going down that road that I went down for 22 years. I start comparing my life to everyone else. And some of you, man, if you just had to be honest tonight, that's you. Like, like you, you find ways to justify. It's like, man, I'm, I'm not that bad. Come on. Like, like we just, you know, I just go out every once in a while, like once a week, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that ain't that bad. Or I, I just, you know, I mean, we just, we just kind of get, you know, we kind of get freaky, just like one, once a month. Nervous laughter. <laughs> Some of you are like, man, I just hit that, I just hit that every once in a while. Like it, it's not that big of a deal, Josiah, but, but you know it alters your thinking and, and, and now you're not sober and, 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 and you're, not, you're not under the, the, the guidance of, of, of the Holy Spirit, of, of God. That's what controls you, not him. That's what satisfies you, or you think, not him. And so let me ask you, are you aware of what God has done for you? Like man didn't get to God by doing enough good things. God came to man and he started the process. God entered into the human race through the person of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus died for your sins. Look at what Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I love that. I circle circle that, I underline it, while we were still sinners. You know why? Because God didn't wait for you and I to clean our life up. If you wait to clean your life up before you come to him, you'll never come to him. He said, while we were yet sinners, he knew everything that you and I would do way before we were ever even born. And he said, I'm going to die for that. I'm going to die for him. I'm going to die for her. And I'm not going to wait until you clean your life up. let Let me ask you something. Have your hands ever been to places that you wish they never gone? Like, that's me. Now, I've, I've taken my hands to places of violence. <laughs> I've stolen things. Man, I, I, not proud, say this in all humility, but taking advantage of women with my hands in ways that I never wish I ever did, just to fulfill my lustful desires. Let me, let me tell you something. The Bible says that Jesus had nails that were pierced in his hands for every time your hands and my hands have been to places that they should never have gone. How about your feet, man? Your feet, have your feet ever gone to places that you wish they never have gone? You know that bar that you said, hey, I'm never gonna go back there. 
you wanted the freedom to drink, but now you have the freedom to drink. You can't, you, you don't have the freedom to stop drinking. And, and, you, and you told yourself, hey, I'm never gonna go back there, but now you're a slave to the bottle. Let me tell you something. Jesus had a nail that was piercing his feet. For every time your feet and my feet have gone to places that they should never have gone. How about your eyes? Your thoughts? You ever looked at things? You ever thought of things that you wish you never looked at or thought of? I, I was exposed to pornography at a young age. Led me to be a porn addict for a decade of my life. Almost ruined my marriage before I ever got married. I had so much anger built up inside of me because my parents divorced when I was going into the sixth grade. Jesus said, hey, I wore a crown of thorns for every time you looked at things and thought of things, even you thinking of the anger that you and I come into this place with because of the wrong that's been done to us. He said, I wore a crown of thorns for that. How about your... How about your back, man? You ever turned your back on God? Oh, I have, plenty of times. Every time I chose my sin instead of him. Jesus said that there was these Roman centurion soldiers right before they put Jesus on the cross and at the end of the whips were sharp metal objects, glass and nails, and they whipped Jesus. And as they whipped him, that sharp metal objects and glass and nails sunk into his flesh for every time you and I have turned our back on God. How about your heart? Your heart ever hardened itself to God? I was driving down the road one day and my roommate from college, also a teammate that I played baseball with, got a call from a buddy of ours, said James passed away in a tragic plane accident. He's dead. You know what I did in that moment? I cursed God. I said, God, how could you do that? Like what's wrong with you? And in the still small voice that God sometimes speak to us as we bow our chest up at him, he said, Josiah, my son, that wasn't me that did that. That was the sin-cursed world you live in. Things aren't perfect, even airplanes. And on this side of eternity, there will always be tragedy. There will always be suffering. There will always be heartache and pain, but take heart. I've overcome the world through the person of Jesus Christ. See, here's what I'm getting at, friends. Jesus can free your hands, your feet, your eyes, your thoughts, your back and your heart because justice was paid at the cross. See, we all scream justice when we've been wrong. Like when, I, man, when I've been wronged and man, I'm, I, had, I had a guy live with me one time, took him in, he was homeless and he stole a check from me, $500. He just ripped it out of my checkbook, wrote it to himself, cashed it. And in that moment, I was like, justice. I want justice. But what about when we wrong God? God says, justice. But, but my son paid for every sin that you've ever committed. All of your sin was poured out on him at the cross and he soaked up every last ounce of God's wrath, the wrath that should have been poured out on you and me. It's called the great exchange, y'all. Jesus got what we deserve and we get what he deserved. 
Like it's the most beautiful picture of reconciliation and love that anyone could ever have on this side of eternity. And so scripture says that he didn't just die for our sins. History records that Jesus rose again on the third day. And when he did that, he defeated sin and death. And the problem is that man, humanity, woman is still at a distance from God, but God has built the bridge. Now the ball is in your court and my court. The bridge is called the cross. And what, I would just say, what are we gonna do with Jesus? Like, what are we gonna do with Jesus? Like God has made the way. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth, don't go on autopilot because you've heard this before. It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God was raised from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the leader of your life, that everything he did for you is enough to forgive you of your sins, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so I love this verse because it says, simply, confession plus belief equals salvation because of what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. This idea that confession, that hey, you're, you're going in the way of sin and you turn around and you go in the opposite direction of your sin, like you don't do a 360 and go back into the same direction of your sin. It's turning from sin and turning to him. And this idea of belief, it's not this intellectual belief that I had for 22 years of my life. See, what we know is men and women always say what they think, but they do what they believe. You know this to be true. You wanna know what someone believes, just watch how they live their life. You know that to be true. I know that to be true. So Jesus did what no man could ever do. In summary, good works can't save us, religion can't either, but only through what Jesus has done for you and I on the cross, through his resurrection, can we be, can we be born again. Like, like this, is, this is my story, y'all. Junior year in college, playing baseball, everything I worked so hard for was finally starting to fall into place. I was getting off the bus from playing a three-game series, about to get ready to go out to the party, and I got hit. I mean it. Like, this is crazy. And, and I just, I had this question come over me. Is that it? Because if these things aren't going to do it anymore, what's going to do it? If this baseball that I'm pursuing and having success in isn't going to do it anymore, what's it going to do? Because I began to be empty and unsatisfied, unfulfilled, and I was like, man, I'm just going to go to the party. I'm going to do what I always do, and it's going it's to fill me up. And in that moment, I said, it, but it's not. And so I went right down the list with everything I was feeling in my life with this girl, these drugs, this bottle, this party, this porn. And I just was self-indulging. And I remember moments back, I had a Bible next to my bed and I remember when I feel guilty enough, sometimes I open that thing and then the next day I'd go to church and, 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 and I just kind of went through rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. But nothing really ever changed in my life until that night. And I said, God, I, I don't know if you're real, but you gotta reveal yourself to me because the things that I'm chasing in this world aren't fulfilling this man that thought he had everything. 
ranked number seventh in the nation, having one of the best years of my life. And I'm like, hey, I thought, that was, I thought that's what was gonna do it. That's what the world tells me. That's what the world says is gonna fulfill me. Why, why, why am I empty? Why am I, why am I still thinking that there's more out there. Because God says, I've written eternity in the hearts of every man and every woman. And tonight, he's written on eternity in your heart. And, and you've been going through the motions week in and week out and trying a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the world. And can I just, can I just say, that? that's a miserable place. Like it was for me. And I cried out to God that night. And I said, God, will you reveal yourself to me? And over the next few days, God began to show me this message that we just talked about tonight. Man, God, chasm of separation because of our sin. The bridges that I was trying to build, good works, Religion falls short in hell. God in his goodness sends Jesus on a rescue mission to die on the cross for the sins of humanity. And not only that, he rose again to defeat the very thing that hung him to the tree. That is one of the most beautiful messages I've ever heard or seen. And something in me over the next few days began to well up and I said, this message is different. I studied the other religions. I studied Muslim, Mormonism. I studied, I studied a lot Hindu. I studied them. And they all teach that you have to climb the ladder to get to God. But God in his love and his goodness stepped into our mess and he did what no man has ever done. He died for you. And if that message doesn't move you and you're still waiting for more of a sign, you're still waiting for an experience, you're still waiting for God to maybe give you what you want, then listen, the cross will never be enough for you. And if the cross is never enough for you, then Jesus will never be enough for you. And so where are you at? Where are you at with God tonight? On a scale of one to 10, if, if, if 10 is, hey, I'm in. I'm all in with God. Like, this is you, humanity. Man, woman. I'm all in, 10. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to Jesus. I'm, I've, I've crossed over, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. Or one, man, I'm not anywhere near. Not anywhere near. I'm, I'm, I'm over here on the other side of the chasm, Josiah. Or, or maybe, I'm, maybe I'm a five. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of there. Like 50%. Let me ask you, did Jesus die for 50% of your sin? He died for 100%. Amen. Where are you at tonight? On a scale of one to 10. And let me tell you something, 10 doesn't mean that you're perfect. 
let me, let me just, let me just show, that, show that right now, just before we close. 10 doesn't mean that you're just perfect and you never fall into anything. No, no, no. 10 means that you're struggling well, that when you fall into it, there's a conviction that comes over you that leads you to repentance, that leads you to have a change of heart, that leads you to have a change of behavior, and you're struggling well. And you have a group of men or a group of women that you begin to confess that sin to and they begin to come alongside of you and help you grow to be God's man or God's woman. But you know your hardest of hearts if you're faking it. I did. You know if you come into this place and you sing love songs to God and you listen to message after message and nothing has moved you. That's not a 10. Nothing has really changed. There's no broken pattern. You look back at your sin and there's no broken patterns of that sin in your life because you keep going right back to it, right back to it, right back to it. Where are you at tonight? With every head bowed and every eye closed. As a sign of humility before God and to limit distractions, I want to ask you a question. If you're anything less than a 10, if you are anything less than a 10 tonight, would you raise your hand? I just wanna pray for you. I just wanna pray for your hands going all the way up in this room tonight. Golly, this is crazy. I just wanna pray. I see that hand, I see that hand. Hands going all up in this room tonight. If, if you're anything less than a 10, is, is there any reason why you wouldn't make a decision tonight to follow him? And, and, and here's what I know. Every time Jesus called someone to follow him, he called them publicly. Like your faith might be personal, but it is not private. Did you hear me? Your faith might be personal, but it is not private. Every time Jesus called someone to follow him, he called them publicly. And so tonight, I'm gonna ask you to do something really, really bold. Like we don't do this, and listen, we're not gonna belabor this moment, we're not gonna drag this thing on, but we're gonna give you an opportunity to commit your life to Jesus. Tonight is your night, and it's nights like these that define your faith, and they're defining moments in your life where you draw a line in the sand, you nail a stake in the ground, and you cross over. The Bible would say from death to life. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Father God, you know the hands that went up in this place tonight. And I pray under the sound of my voice, and hopefully it's not my voice teaching tonight, it's your voice, that my friends would be bold with their decision to follow you. And God, that you would allow them to see that the message of the gospel, the good news, the way that we can be born again is through this simple idea of confessing plus believing in what you did for us.
that will be enough to make us right with you and for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven like Nicodemus was asking in that passage? Would that be enough in their life that they would confess you as Lord and turn from their sin and that they would believe in the only one worthy of our praise, Jesus Christ, and you would awaken the hearts in this place that when they walk out of these doors, that they would be transformed and that they would be with you forever and ever and ever and ever in heaven. Lord, would you do that work that no man can do and we'll be sure to give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.